Welcome to Leadership Revealed, where John Paul shares his no-nonsense approach to all things leadership and scaling businesses. John interviews some of the most successful people in their industries to see what it takes to become a great leader. Be prepared for the truth about leadership and business. Please welcome your host, serial entrepreneur and top-selling author, John Paul. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Leadership Revealed. I'm really excited because in this episode, when you're listening to it on podcast or you're watching it on YouTube, I interview a chap called Peter Docker. Now, Peter has spent 25 years in the RAF. He spent a lot of time in the corporate world and he is talking about uh, leadership, but he's talking about handing over controls. And in it, we talk about his book, leading from the jump seat and how he has used that methodology and that sort of his thinking and his business approach. Now, this comes from a place of real life practice. This isn't theory. He hasn't had his head in the books. Peter talks about his RAF career and how um, it was a very, very serious sort of issue when he was in the back seat, when he was in, con- in control um, of a plane. And instead of just jumping in, he sort of let the pilot take control and the pilot um, got them out of the little bit of an issue that they were in. And Peter's taken that methodology and that principle and he talks about it in this podcast. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. He's a very, very clever guy, very articulate, and he's got some really, really fantastic theories about it, which I uh, 100% concur with. So enjoy this edition of Leadership Revealed. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Leadership Revealed. So how are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks very much, John, for having me. Delighted to be here. My pleasure, my pleasure. So for all the viewers and listeners out there, I've given a fantastic intro, but it's probably hasn't done you justice. Do you just want to give us a little bit of a, a background about you, your, your military career and, and where we are today? Sure. Uh, so oh, I spent about 25 years in the Royal Air Force. Uh, I joined in my early 20s as a pilot. So uh, I flew mainly large aircraft, um, passenger, but also air refueling aircraft, which give fuel away to, to fighter jets. Uh, and I did a lot, lot of other jobs in, in the Air Force. Uh, I was a negotiator with the British government when the Berlin Wall came down with the Russians, which uh, was one of those moments where I felt completely out of my depth. Many of those, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I've negotiated on trade agreements with the uh, uh, State Department in the States. I've run multi-billion dollar programs. I've taught at the Defence College on leadership and associated things. Uh, so the... Air Force career was quite rich and full. But then when I left the Air Force in 2007, I joined a consultancy which was all about leadership um, and uh, spent about three years with them working with, um, well, mainly the oil and gas and construction industry. Uh, And then after that, I I sat down and started to write down my own ideas about leadership. And it's during that time that I picked up with um, Simon Sinek, and some listeners may have heard of his name. He's written lots of um, best-selling books, and I worked with Simon for about oh, seven or eight years, helping take his message around the world. So my the last decade has really been about uh, traveling the world, which has been a great privilege, meeting lots of different people, working with leadership teams from some of the biggest uh, companies in the world, um, acting as a speaker um, on the stage, and also consultant and coach. So uh, yeah, it's been a very full life up to now. <laughs> so I think I think before we were talking um, offline, you said you've been in 92 countries with, with your training and your coaching. 
Yeah, yeah. And in a week or so time, that'll be 93 because um, I'll be off to Jamaica uh, where I haven't been before. So that, that will be good. And a few more countries to go. And just on that, you know, it's it's not about just dashing around the planet. What what it's taught me, John, is that, you know, we, we've got a lot of things that separate us in this world uh, between countries, nations, cultures, whatever. Yeah. Um, there's so much more that is common between us. And I think that's what I've learned most uh, mm-hmm. traveling the world and meeting people is that what brings us together is so much more than what keeps us apart. And that gives me great hope for the future too. Brilliant, brilliant. I like one of your um, your, your quotes is your whole uh, sort of theories about building people up to be extraordinary at what they do. Um, is that your theory on leadership? Well, it's part of it. You know, uh, I... I get quite emotional, frankly, when I see people excelling. Um, and by excelling, I, I'm talking about things that bring them joy because they feel they've achieved. Um, it doesn't matter whether I know them or not. You know, it, it just really deeply affects me. And that is because I think that we all have something inside us that um, we're, we're here to bring to life on this, this planet during our time. You know, And it's a case of discovering what that is and bringing that to life. So whenever I'm spending time with people and helping them on that journey, uh, whether it's leading you know, a, a very big company mm. or someone just as a solo entrepreneur, um, building their own business uh, or anything in between, uh, or being a parent, you know, parenting mm. is one of the toughest leadership jobs that the majority of us or many of us will face. You know, uh, it, it is a big challenge. And when we see our kids grow up and start to thrive, then that fills our heart with uh, with warmth because we're seeing them be extraordinary in their own way. So, yeah, it is a theme uh, that goes through mm. what I talk about and how I work with people and putting that into practice. So it's going to unlock that um, at scale as well as at an individual level. Mm. I quite like your, um, your sort of ideas and adaptive leadership. So it is, it is all about letting go and letting people thrive and f- flourish and, yeah. and not being a control freak. Well, uh, yes. I mean, uh, adaptive leadership was first uh, put together by Ronald Heifetz of Harvard Business School. Um, and I've picked up on that theme in my latest book, Lean from the Jump Seat, because Lean from the Jump Seat is all about um, creating a space into which others can step and lifting them up so as they can lead. You know, it, it's not, as I see it, lean from the jump seat is the highest form of leadership because it's not about increasing or retaining your own power. It's about empowering others. And the reason that's so important is that when we're at work at something that really matters to us, and John, you're an entrepreneur, you've got businesses that you've put your heart and soul in, so it's important to you. And if you want that to continue, and why wouldn't you, then we need to give people the opportunity to step up and lead because at some stage, we all take a step back ourselves. You know, you'll retire as a CEO, people will move on as team leaders or going back to the parenting example, you know, our kids will eventually grow up and start to lead our own lives. So we all eventually take a step back and leading from the jump seat is about leading intentionally such that we prepare people to take forward those things that are really important to us. Um, Why wouldn't we want to do that, you know? And in the process, um, 
we draw in things such as adaptive leadership, which is really important. One of the aspects of that, I, I call it harnessing the collective genius of our team. Um, because one of the greatest challenges, I think, for, for someone who chooses to lead a team is that in order to accelerate our progress, we need to be able to um, let go of having to always be the one with the answer. Mm. Yeah? If we limit our progress based on what we know as the leader, um, then we become the bottleneck. Yeah. But there's an opportunity to become adept at leading when we don't know the answer. And instead, we are focused on just maintaining the context where people on our team can come together using their individual skills and expertise to figure out the answer, to learn our way through to that solution. And that way, we are not the bottleneck, you know, and our team and our performance starts to accelerate. So it's all part of this leading from the jump seat, but it starts with us being willing to take that step back mm -hmm. and lifting others up. I like that because that's what I, I sort of practice and preach in our business. I've got an amazing MD. She's got area managers. I don't want to, if I'm the cleverest person in the room, I'm, I'm in the wrong room. Um, you, you definitely don't want to be in that position. But I think a lot of leaders, especially small business owners, think that their answer has to be the right one. There's nothing wrong with you. You can still be a leader, but still get the answers from people who work with you. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, this, this transition, as I call it, though, is, is not trivial. Yeah. It's really difficult because if we think about it, you know, during our life, when we're at school, um, and then college, we, we start to specialize in the stuff that we, we enjoy, hopefully, or become good at. And then when we went to the workplace, we're hired because of our skills and expertise. If we're really good at it, we get promoted. And so it goes on until we get to that position uh, where we're no longer the person on the tools or the computer programmer or whatever it happens to be. We are the manager taking care of those people. And quite often there is not much training or support as we make that transition. I, I remember making that transition in the Royal Air Force, you know, where I went from um, being a wing commander, uh, running a squadron where I was still a pilot, to be, being a, a group captain where I had a team. Um, I was running this international procurement project, um, about £13 billion. Um, pounds. It was a biggie. And there were so many people on my team, legal experts, uh, engineering experts, um, flying experts, uh, industry experts, and they had all this knowledge that I did not have. Um, and so my job was not to know the answer. My job was to ask the appropriate questions, mm -hmm. the good questions, and then to be able to absorb the information that came my way, package it and present it to whomever needed to know. Um, but that was a significant transition. But fortunately, the, the training and experience I had in the Air Force had prepared me a little for that. But often in business, we don't prepare people for that. And it comes as a big shock because we're used to knowing, being the person who knows the answer. And it feels very uncomfortable at first not knowing the answer and instead refocusing our attention on asking the good questions and eliciting the answer from, from our team. And yeah, it's a big transition. One of the issues we used to have uh, a couple, of, a fair few years ago, as we were growing, was we had people who were managing properties, portfolio managers. And then all of a sudden, if somebody showed a lot of promise, they were promoted to manager. So yeah. on Friday they were managing properties, and then on the Monday they were managing people. 
And that transition was incredibly difficult until we said, right, well, we need to have a, a like a training program, six months or a year, a management training program where we can prepare these people because if we put them in that position with lack of training, it's on us. If we yep. put that in lack of support, if we put them in that position and we give them the training, the nurture, the support, and they didn't work out, then at least we did everything we could. But you've got to try and do everything you can to make that transition as, as easily as possible. Yeah, and you know what? There's a great um, aid to that, which um, I've used in workshops before and also I've written about in the book. And that aid comes from Hollywood. And it's the 1995 film, Apollo 13. All right. Uh, with uh, Tom Hanks in. And also uh, the character that I focus on is played by Ed Harris. And that character is Gene Krantz. And for those who don't recall, um, the Apollo 13 um, well, film, but also it's true events, very true events. The Apollo space missions that uh, in the 70s were taking astronauts to the moon uh, is all going swimmingly well. But then the Apollo 13 mission was one where they had an explosion on the spacecraft en route to the moon. And the film plays out beautifully and it is very accurate um, rendition of, of what actually happened. Uh, it plays out beautifully how a team was suddenly faced with a completely unknown situation. And they had to refocus from the original mission, which was getting three astronauts to the moon and two of them onto the, the surface and back again to Earth. They had to go from that to just being focused on how the heck are we going to save these three astronauts and get them home safely? And Gene Krantz at the time was the mission controller at NASA. He was 32 years old, who was a former US Air Force um, pilot. And uh, he portrays, and the film portrays, how to lead a, a team when you don't know the answer. And it, it does it beautifully. And, well, there's something that comes up for me in that film is uh, the notion that really that there's only two things in this world, John, there's only two. There's content and there's context. Mm. Content is the stuff that we're work on, but context is what gives it meaning. It's like a, a jigsaw puzzle. You know, we have all those puzzle pieces on the table, that's our content, right? But then it's only when we can see the picture on the box mm. that those puzzle pieces make sense. And when we're leading, particularly in an unknown situation, that goes beyond our own experience. We need to be focused on making that picture on the box as clear and as vibrant as possible. Because then our people can bring those jigsaw puzzle pieces together, figure it out themselves. And what actually Gene Kranz did effectively when the Apollo 13 crisis hit, he turned over those puzzle pieces to discover a different picture on the other side. That different picture was, let's just get these three astronauts home safe. Yeah. Mm. And he painted that picture very, very clear. You know, it was a Hollywood line, but uh, we've never lost an American in space yet. It's not going to happen in my watch. Failure is not an option. That was a Hollywood line, but the real Gene Kranz adopted that line for his, uh, his book uh, a few years later because it just captured their attitude. And Gene Kranz focused all the time that picture on the box and it was his people his engineers his technicians 
who learned their way through sort of solution to get those guys home safe. But that would not have happened if Gene Kranz did not have that picture on the box and make it really crystal clear, keeping that context really present for people. Yeah. So that's the transition that we need to go through, I think, linking back to your example um, of uh, you know, managing uh, or going from uh, selling houses, in effect, to managing the people who sell those houses. A um, bit different, one may say, from rescuing astronauts from a spacecraft. But actually, the principles are still the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, dig out Apollo 13 and watch it through that lens and see the leadership in action. It's really yeah. pretty cool. I'll definitely be uh, getting that on Netflix or, or Prime. Well, or, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and how, how would you suggest to our watchers, viewers and, and, and listeners that this sounds really great? It's they've all bought into it. They want a business that somebody else can run or they want a business where they can build up leaders. How do they go about doing that? Because the, the, the issues are normally if you've run a small business, you've got that control freak mentality, that sort of psyche where I can't let go. And what happens if you've just got this gut feeling or you know that some of your current staff are not good enough to be able to let go too? How would you say what is the first sort of steps that they can they can take? Well, Actually, as with a lot of these things, John, it, it, it starts right here in the mirror, you know, um, getting really clear on what you stand for and what drives you. Uh, I, things seem to come in twos for me, and here is another pairing. Uh, a stand is different from a position. You know? A position is against something. A stand is for something. We've got narrow lanes around where we live in the countryside, the Cotswolds, and there's one just out of the village here where there's only enough width for one car to pass at a time. And sometimes you get two cars posing directions, stopping head on. And quite often the two drivers can take up a position against the other driver, you know, uh, and that position will look like um, you move over. I've got priority here. My journey is more important than yours. You were going too fast, so you give way. And their position against one another becomes more and more entrenched. But occasionally, one of those drivers has got a stand, a stand for being courageous on the road. And they immediately reverse back up to a passing place, um, which means that the other guy can carry on his journey and that other guy's position just dissolves. Because mm -hmm. that's the thing with a position. It can only exist with a counter position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but the guys stand for being courteous on the road, that will continue to thrive regardless if anybody else is involved or not. And taking that to business, you know, what do we stand for in our business? Not what are we against, no, what do we stand for? And what drives us? We can talk more about drivers in a minute, but it's so important to get really clear on what we stand for. And there can be a number of things and turn that into a commitment to prevail and move forward. The reason it's so important is because people on our team will look to us for the clues and the direction. And when we're very clear on what we stand for, it gives them the signposting that they need to see how they can contribute. And it will attract people who mm. also are inspired by what you stand for. Um, and they will then be the right sort of people on your team who will start to show the potential to perhaps 
lead your team or mm. step up as leaders. Yeah, but it all start, starts on being very clear on what you stand for. Yeah, yeah. I think trusting your team as well is a massive thing. Again, there's a lot of business, small business owners don't want to hand over because they know that person might yeah. not have all the answers. But I, I always say to, to my guys, if you've got kids, the first time your child uh, rode a bike without the stabilizers, when they fall off, you didn't kick them out the way and say, come on, I'll show you how to do it. You let them have That's a game because right. you knew they were going to fail. You knew they were going to fall off. Well, that, that links to uh, the opening story of the book, you know, where the title comes from, leaning from the yeah. jump seats. Um, the, the, the jump seats on a large passenger jet is the seat that's immediately behind the two pilots, you know, captain, co-pilot, first officer, and you have this third seat, which is often empty. Um, but crew members catching a ride home can sit on it, that sort of thing. And this goes back some years, and I just qualified a brand-new captain. Um, he'd been a first officer, a co-pilot for many years, very good pilot, and uh, he'd just finished his training to become a captain. I'd signed him off. We just landed at San Francisco Airport, which is a very busy air airport. I'd signed him off. We stopped there the night, and then I said, look, I'll be down the back for the trip home. Um, you'll have a regular uh, first officer with you. Um, you know, good on you. Uh, well done. And it was a great moment. Um, but the following morning, he came to me and he asked me if I'd come and sit on that jump seat. Not because he was uh, underconfident, but because it was a very busy airfield busy uh, airport uh, with lots of departing traffic and we didn't go there very often um, and he just wanted an extra pair of eyes to check that we taxi the right way or, or watch out for other traffic it was a sensible decision you know use somebody else who's available to mm. keep the aircraft safe so I strapped into that jump seat and we taxied out and finally it was our turn to get airborne to take off and we got airborne around about 300 feet which is very close to the ground really we had an emergency and what I then chose to do in probably the next one or two seconds would dictate whether the 140 people on board would survive or not. Um, so, well, the punchline to that is I chose to do nothing. I just sat with my hands in my lap, quite calm, because... I'd signed him off the previous day as qualified to fly anywhere in the world and having accountability for the safety of that aircraft and everybody on board. So why would I intervene? Mm -hmm. What he needed in that moment was to sense that I had his back. And we can all sense that. Mm -hmm. We don't have to look at somebody. We can feel it. In that moment, I needed not to be a great leader. I needed to be a great follower. Yeah. Um, and with Callum feeling that I had his back, he, he was able to do what he needed to do. And, you know, I'm here to tell the tale. Uh, and he did a great job. So, you know, in the, the business world, this is the equivalent of um, perhaps uh, someone who's just... Um, got their spurs as uh, a sales manager going for their first big deal. It's a really important deal. Mm -hmm. You know, we could be on their shoulder going with them or we could say, look, Hey, here's the pen that I used to sign my first big deal. I want you to use this, you to use this today. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You know, and if we've done our job 
to train that person, to lift them up, to build the relationship like I had with, with Callum, yeah, where we knew that we got each other's back, then that person is as equipped as they need to be to go and close that deal or fly that aeroplane. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's the, the trust comes mm -hmm. from the relationship we have with the person and also the amount of time and investment we've made in their training and preparing them, lifting them up. That's what it means mm -hmm. to lift them up. You know, it's no use just saying to someone who's just walked in off the street, yeah, you go and close that deal. No, they need to build relationship with the business, what you stand for as an organization. So as you can, they can appropriately represent us um, to the outside world and also uh, the, the skills they need to do their particular job. Mm. That's what lifting up is. You, you talk about responsibility and, the, and, and accountability and the, and the difference. Does that mm. come a lot into leadership and how does that define and, and help you become a better leader? Totally. And I, I, I think, you know, the, there's quite a few distinctions in language I, I use, yeah. which um, you might not find in a dictionary, but over the years I've picked these up and it, it certainly helps me. And responsibility, accountability is one distinction. You know, there's a, accountability can be given. So, you know, as CEO, you give accountability to your managing director for certain things. Yeah. And it's probably in their contracts, uh, key performance indicators or whatever. Um, but if that's all you got, it's probably not going to help you perform brilliantly as an individual, as a team. People need to choose to take responsibility. Mm. And that's only something we can choose to take on. We can't be told. It's when we choose to take ownership is another word. It, again, parenting gives a great, <laughs> great example. Years ago, when our kids were small, we lived on a little uh, close of houses. It wasn't very busy. And our two kids would play out on the street with the neighbor's kids. And, uh, you know, we had accountability as their parents for their safety. And so if we saw a, a car or a stranger coming around, we would go out and look after our own kids, but also we felt responsibility for our neighbor's kids. And so we'd take care of them too, mm. you know? And so as a neighborhood, we, we thrive because everybody looked after everybody else. And so it is in the business. You know, you can tell people until you're blue in the face, you're accountable to deliver this at such and such point, such and such time. But unless they feel a responsibility, a drive to deliver, then it's gonna be a real uphill struggle all of the time both for you and probably for them. So crazy environment where people choose to take responsibility is I think key. And it, it, it fits into one of the, the, the buckets I talk about in the book Lean from the Jump Seas. And that is a role of a leader is to create or nurture a sense of belonging. Because when people feel that they belong, then one of the many things that happens is that they're more, more, much more likely to step up and choose to take responsibility for their actions and for the work they do. Mm. Is there anything else in the book that you can share with us about how to become a better leader or, um, you know, make a better company, you know, you being a leader at the head of, head of that? Sure. Um, I, I mentioned one of the, um, the, the, the buckets, I call them, the, the nurturing is sensible. The, the book is broken into to three um, sections, if you like, commitment, humble confidence, and belonging. 
And uh, the, the belonging I've already mentioned, there's more to it than just nurturing that sense. It's uh, responsibility comes into that section as well. We've talked a little bit about commitment. Um, and I'll talk a little bit now about humble confidence, perhaps, and what that means. Because that goes to the heart of what it takes to be able to be the leader that lifts others up. And it links to, well, another pairing as well uh, in language, which is this, um, there are only, well, everything that's important to us in life, everything at a personal level is driven by one of two things. It's driven by either fear or love. Mm -hmm. Now, whenever I mention the love word in a business context, people go, yeah, yeah, that's because, you know, love means a lot of different things. So let me clarify that. First of all, on the fear side, uh, what drives us? Um, when we're driven by fear, you know, fear is a natural reaction in ourselves when our life is threatened, which fortunately isn't very often. Um, but it's also a driver when we feel our livelihood, status, or reputation is threatened. Mm -hmm. And when those kick in, we have the fear, fight, or flight reaction to it. And what that can look like in the, the business world is, um, well, ego comes to the fore. Ego is Greek for I. It's all about me. We shut down from other people. You know, it's about our own survival. That's the, the survival instinct. Um, we tend to see the world as a place of scarcity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and competition. Um, we must prevail um, regardless of others, you know. Um, anger sometimes can come out. All these things are fear drivers. But then we have a choice, and that is to choose to be driven by love drivers. And when we're driven by love, what that looks like is we think about others. We think about people on our team. We think about the customers we serve. It's not about me, you know. We have a view of the world which is one of opportunity and possibility instead of scarcity. Mm -hmm. Importantly, we have humility, and what I call humble confidence. And humble confidence is like the antidote to ego. You know, humble confidence has us be thinking about the bigger picture, not just about me. Um, it has us willing to listen to those on our team, just as Gene Kranz does in the film Apollo 13. Yeah. Um, because unless we're willing to listen, we're not going to hear the great input from our people unless they feel they can show up and share their thoughts with us then we're not going to hear them. And if we're full of ego, of fear, then people are likely to clam up. If we have humble confidence, we are willing to listen. Other people sense that. But the confidence aspect of humble confidence is that we're willing to make a decision when the time comes. Even if we haven't got the full big picture, you know, we need to make a decision. So that's the humble confidence aspect of it. But because it needs us to um, let go of fear, which takes courage, we need to be very clear on the reason we're doing that. And that's where that commitment piece that goes before comes in. Because yeah. when we're in situations where we don't know the answer, where it's unknown territory, then what guides us is what we stand for, what we believe in, and the commitment that we have. And that gives us the bedrock, the foundation we need to have humble confidence and to be willing to let others in so as we can learn our way through to the answer. Um, and as I say, that only happens when 
people feel they belong on our team. And that only happens when we genuinely care mm. people. Yeah. I suppose so, this, this, this happens in all sorts of leadership roles. I mean, we, we were speaking off camera about a, a good friend of yours who was um, leading SEAL Team 6. Yeah. And that sort of thing comes into even his job, which is extreme of the extreme. Yeah. Well, Rich Davini, uh, great guy, he's American. As you mentioned, he ran SEAL Team 6. He spent about 20 years, I think, the US Navy SEALs, which is um, a, a pretty elite special forces uh, group of people. And SEAL Team 6, there are a number of SEAL teams, but uh, he led SEAL Team 6, which was the best of the best of the best of the best, you know. Um, wonderful guy. Um, and what I think comes perhaps as a surprise to people who aren't familiar with the, the military is although the military ultimately is there to um, uh, take well, violent action ultimately, you know, uh, in the case of defending the nation, um, it, it doesn't happen unless the people who are leading really care for their troops, their people. And I know Rich Davini would agree with this too. And certainly it was my experience leading a couple hundred people during the Iraq war in 2003. You know, I deeply cared for my people. I knew them uh, very well. I knew their families in many cases. Um, and my job was to uh, enable them to do their work. And we flew big unarmed um, air refueling aircraft, mm -hmm. um, undefended. And, um, you know, we, we flew around in circles, giving fuel away to fighter jets and often get shot at from the, the ground. Um, and I, I care for my people, uh, not just the, the ones flying the aircraft, but the engineers who are maintaining them and spent time with them and listened to them, you know? And so even in the most extreme environments, um, teams will only perform, in my view, when they know that the person at the top of the tree really cares for them. Um, doesn't mean that you're soft necessarily. It just means that you think of their interests too. Um, and even in those extreme environments where people are putting their lives on the line, you know, they do so because first of all, they're very clear on <clears throat> the shared commitment that we have. Um, if they're gonna succeed facing the unknown, they'll have humble confidence to listen to the input from other team members, but also they have this shared sense of belonging as well. They're a part of a team and uh, they don't wanna let that team down. Mm -hmm. They yeah. wanna step up, take responsibility to figure it out so as we prevail. And that's what has um, the military traditionally prevail, whether it's in a war situation, um, or indeed a humanitarian relief situation or peacekeeping, all these situations which are highly complex where you're stepping into the unknown, it works more often than not because people feel they belong, they have a shared commitment and belief, and uh, those involved have got humble confidence and willing to listen as they learn their way through to the, uh, the answers that we need to find. I think one of the things that, that, that gets overlooked is in, in leadership is... Um, a lot of people think leadership's very American, a very wishy-washy, but you've actually used these techniques in com real life combat situations and yeah. have come out very successful. So it's not just theory, this stuff really works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it works in business too. The reason that I mentioned the, the, the military side is because, 
you know, it, it's it's not the the warm and fuzzy. Um, it, it's what has people choose to do remarkable things. Mm. Um, and also, by the way, it works in aircraft emergency situations. Mm. You know, the the flight deck of um, a, a large passenger jet is for me a, a microcosm of of leadership. And I've seen some great leadership and some very poor leadership. Uh, and when you get it right on a flight deck of an aeroplane, um, it works very, very well indeed. And there's several examples in the book, such as when I was faced with crash landing an aircraft with 140 people on board. Uh, the things that you learn about leadership in those situations uh, in the extreme moments mm. when it really, really, really matters because your life is on the line, mm. those lessons, those approaches can be used just as successfully in everyday business because at the end of the day, it's all about human beings and how we interact with one another. Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Peter, it's been absolutely amazing listening to you. I just want to say thank you very much for your service over 25 years. Really appreciate thank it. You. Um, leading from the, the jump seat, I've already ordered it. You can order it pre-Amazon uh, on Amazon. Brilliant. Yeah, um, we'll send a, a, a link for the um, your show notes, but yes, it's um, available for pre-order on Amazon, wherever you are in the world, uh, pretty much, but also Waterstones, the UK, Blackwells, and all the usual places. Um, and uh, yeah, 19th of October. And also, if people want to come along, uh, there's the live book launch, on the 19th of October, Pembroke College, University of Oxford. Um, it's worth going just to see Pembroke College, to be honest. Um, so uh, uh, where I'll be giving a, a short talk and um, there'll be books people can buy. I'll sign them and answer Q&A too. So uh, uh, I'll send you the, the link for the show notes, uh, John, for, for that event as well. People can book yeah. on event, right? And you also do workshops and keynote talks and, and all sorts Absolutely. of things. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I speak all over the world. Uh, I'm off to Jamaica in, uh, uh, well, how long? About 10 days or so. And, uh, yeah, all over the world and run workshops and programs for, for companies. Um, so, yeah, if people want to learn more, just drop me a line through the website. Excellent. We'll put all the links in uh, the show notes below. But Peter, once again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks again for joining us on Leadership Revealed. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you, John. Thank you.